0: Hello! Welcome to the Step-by-Step Sermon Podcast. I am Andrew Bird-Harris. I'd like to thank you for listening. You can learn more about this podcast by visiting stepbystepsermons.com. The sermon you're about to listen to is preached at Thomson Town United Methodist Church. You can learn more about Thomson Town United Methodist Church by visiting their website, thomsontownchurch.org. Our gospel lesson for this morning comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After he said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had come to near Bethage, Bethage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it and told them, and he told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on him. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, as we meditate on your word and hear your word proclaimed, open up our hearts, open up our minds, and let us hear what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. Being a liturgical nerd is hard. Now, before I explain the hardships of what it means to be a liturgical nor- nerd, and you all roll your eyes and think, if that's your biggest problem, I'm in the wrong profession, uh, I- I'll explain what the word liturgical means. It comes from the word liturgy. And liturgy, in the Christian context, means our shape or form of worship, that all we do in worship is is, is liturgy, and and. and, and Christians and pastors obsess over how do we worship, because there's so many different ways to worship, and we often think there are better ways and worse ways. If, if you don't believe me, go to a United Methodist uh, clergy Facebook group, and if you say the wrong thing in those things, like, I think I want to have communion on Good Friday. Uh, just, Just wait to see how people respond and say, you can't do that. You can't have communion on Good Friday. And people get really bent out of shape over things. And so it's always hard. Like, what is the best way to worship? And I'm always learning new things or struggling to figure out what to do. Like, this year I learned that it's not the Sundays of Lent. It's the Sundays in Lent. And that seems like a minor thing, but to some people it would be a major thing. And one of the hard things about liturgy is that Protestants have tried to go back to the ancient traditions. For a long time, we just kind of didn't worry about it, but we've rediscovered over the last 50 or 60 years the, the ways that early church, and it just so happens the Roman Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church, have been doing things and saying, how do we rediscover the ancient practices that brought life to the church? And, and 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 so we, we wrestle with how best to offer worship and a lot of things have changed over the years. Some of you probably can say, we never used to do this, we never used to do that, 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 that things that to me seem like you have to do in worship, like an advent wreath, are actually all not that all that that, that old in the grand scheme of things. And one of the, the big things that I wrestle with every year is what to do for today. Because when I was growing up, today was Palm Sunday. And when I was growing up, Palm Sunday was the best Sunday. Well, maybe not the best. I really liked Easter, too, because I'd go with my mom to the sunrise service, so then I wouldn't have to go to the later service, and we'd go to Dunkin' Donuts afterwards. But other than maybe that, uh, 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 I loved Palm Sunday, because we we didn't have palms like you guys have. We had them like the long, long ones that you could use as a sword, or you could hit each other with, or if you were really good, you could... Like, put on the back of the neck of the person in front of you, and I think a bug was there. Uh, anyway, I uh, have a lot of fun with those, and worship is where I'm going with that. And, and so today was always Palm Sunday to me. And then I went to seminary. And in seminary, uh, they celebrated Palm Passion Sunday. And, and what would happen is we would start the morning at a park. And we would get a donkey from the Heifer Heifer Project. They have a farm up in Massachusetts. And we would then gather several churches in the area. We'd have palms, and we'd go down the main avenue for that town, and we'd end up in the main square of that town, and we'd be waving palms in St. Hosanna, and we'd have a donkey with us. Uh, they used to bring the donkey into the church, but they, they'd stop doing that for some reason a, a long time ago, and so we didn't have the worship service outside, and that was a lot of fun, but then we would go inside, and we'd do the passion part of Palm Passion Sunday, and we'd basically abbreviate Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday into the, to the second worship service, and, and we'd have a big fight every year in the worship team planning meeting. saying uh, one person said we need to celebrate Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday should be Palm Sunday. Monday Thursday should be Monday Thursday and Good Friday should be Good Friday. But the pastor would keep arguing that if, if people don't come to Monday Thursday if people don't go to Good Friday then they kind of get a distorted view of what Jesus' last week on earth looked like. Because if you start with praise and celebration on Sunday And then you don't see what happens with the last supper and you don't see what happens on Good Friday Then you just go back to celebration and you forget all that happens to Jesus along the way And so I always wrestle like should we just do Palm Sunday? Should we do partly Palm Sunday and partly Passion Sunday? And I decided this year, you know what, we'll do Palm Sunday But then I'm like, what am I going to preach on? Uh, Because there's just so much going on in this passage and then it's a passage that I've always wrestled with because it's always hard for me. How could they be praising Jesus on Sunday? And then at least some of the same people are calling for him to be crucified on Friday. And even for the folks who aren't calling for his crucifixion, a lot of them abandoned Jesus, that the crowds of support he had on Palm Sunday are gone by the time you get to Good Friday. And so there's, a, for one brief moment, getting it right, that Jesus is king. Jesus is worthy of praise, But by the end of the week, they have abandoned Jesus, or some of them are even calling for his crucifixion. And so I wrestle with with the idea that how do we have this great celebration on Sunday in the shadow of a cross on Friday? We're going to try to unpack that a little bit in our scripture lesson today. And there's so much going on that there's not, I can't possibly cover everything, but I want to give you some context and kind of give you a, my perspective on it. Chapter 19 of the Gospel of Luke starts with the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, and Jesus goes out of his way, as they talked about a few weeks ago, for, to encounter Zacchaeus, to seek Zacchaeus out. And after he has uh, invited himself to Zacchaeus' home, and Zacchaeus has had a change of heart, He he tells everyone that Zacchaeus too is the son of Abraham, and that the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. And this has been a theme for the last several chapters here. And it's a theme because the Pharisees have been criticizing Jesus for spending time with sinners. And Jesus said, that's my whole point. I came to seek out sinners. And then Jesus tells a really disturbing parable between the story of Zacchaeus and today's scripture lesson. And in this disturbing parable, Jesus says that there is a, a, well, let me give it a little context. So the the author of Luke tells us that Jesus is about to give this disturbing parable because he's very close to Jerusalem and because people see him as a king. They think Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to establish his kingdom. And so Jesus gives this parable about a nobleman who gives his slaves wealth and says, make more money. I'm going to go away to get power. And the man goes away to get power, and then his enemies try to stop him and say, we don't want him to be king. And then he comes back, and he has power. And he goes to his servants, and he says to them, so what did you do with the money that I gave you? And many of the servants came and said, I have more money for you, that you gave me this much money, and now I have this much more money to give back to you. And, and, And the king gives them power. The king gives them more responsibility and more gifts. But one servant comes back and says, uh, I'm scared of you. I was afraid that I was going to lose that money. And, and, and the, the king rebukes that servant. And, and Jesus says that, uh, I tell you, those who have, more will be given. But to those who have nothing, even that what they have will be taken away. And you kind of get the idea that when Jesus leaves, and they don't realize Jesus is going to leave, that we're all trusted with responsibility. And we're entrusted to use the gifts God has given us wisely and to to, to be fruitful and that we're going to be held accountable to that. But that's not actually the most disturbing part of this passage. What is disturbing comes next where Jesus says, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. And so you kind of get the impression that Jesus is talking about. He is going to become king, but there are people who have opposed him and, and it's not going to be good for them. So on that really scary and ominous note, Jesus then goes into Jerusalem, and we get into today's scripture lesson, and Jesus sends out two of his disciples ahead of him to, to secure a never ridden cult, and it's kind of hard, like, did they steal it? Did they borrow it? Did they requisition it? But they decide that they need this cult for Jesus. And, and all they have to say is the Lord needs it, and it's given to them. And, and so I guess if you're going to need to requisition a cult, you can try that. But it works for them. And so Jesus then starts to enter the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus has been popular throughout the Gospel of Luke. As he heals people. As he casts out demons, as he cleans, clear, uh, cleanses people of unclean spirits, as he raises the dead, Jesus is popular. And people start to follow him. Not just the 12 disciples that we normally talk about, but he starts getting this large crowd of people that, that want to be his disciples, that want to follow him. And, and as he enters the city, they treat him like a king. They start laying their cloaks down on the road. The gospel of John tells us they cut down palm branches and put that on the way. And and scholars tell us in the ancient world that when you wanted to honor someone, when you wanted to show someone was important, you would put down something on their road so that their, their animal did not have to walk on the dirt. And as Jesus comes in, his disciples start praising God. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And it might remind you of what we read on Christmas Eve. The message the angels give to the shepherds. That, that, that this is Jesus. And, 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 and we're seeing Jesus as king. And they're giving praise to Jesus. And this upsets the Pharisees. This really upsets the Pharisees. And on one level they're probably upset because they don't like Jesus. They've never liked how popular Jesus is. Jesus spends time with all the wrong people. Jesus does all the wrong things. And now everyone's praising him. But they're also upset about Jesus because they're afraid that there's going to be repercussions for this. That this is on the eve of Passover. They're very close to the Passover. And the Passover is a celebration of the Israelites being liberated from the Egyptians and returned into the promised land. And the Romans knew this. The Romans knew that, 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 that the Israelites did not like being under Roman rule. And whenever there was a celebration of liberation, they always were more careful. They always had more soldiers. They were always more worried that someone might rile up the crowd when there was more people in Jerusalem than normal and, and lead a revolution against the Romans. And so the Pharisees are obviously jealous of Jesus, but they're also worried if people keep calling him king, if people keep praising him, Are the Romans going to come down on them? Are the Romans going to cause trouble for everyone? And so they want Jesus' disciples to stop. They tell Jesus, get them to stop calling you king. Get them to stop praising you. But Jesus says that if they were silent, even the stones would praise me. There's a lot going on here. I can't possibly unpack everything. But what I've been thinking about this week is just how all this takes place in the shadow of a cross. That on Sunday they're praising Jesus But by Friday, they've either abandoned him or they are calling for his crucifixion. And you have this joyous celebration where Jesus' kingship is recognized. But then by the end of the week, Jesus is no longer being treated as a king. In fact, he's being treated as the opposite of a king. That they decide to crucify him. And crucifixion is the worst possible way to die in the ancient world, that the Romans used it to terrorize people, that they would save it for the worst of the worst in their mind, and they would put you on a cross along the major road, so everyone could see what would happen to someone who stands against the Romans, and you would slowly and agonizingly die, because you have to either choose to breathe, or you have to choose to rest, and if uh, you breathe... You have to use energy, and if you rest, you're not breathing, and you slowly suffocate. You get to a point from dehydration, lack of food, and lack of rest, where you suffocate to death. It's a horrible way to die. It was a terrible way to treat people, but it was the way the Romans scared people. And so you have someone who's treated as a king on Sunday, and by Friday, he's being killed in one of the worst ways possible. And you have all these disciples who are calling him king and praising him, and they either abandon him, Or maybe even join the crowd calling for his crucifixion. And this kind of scares me. That on one hand we can praise Jesus one day. And the next day we can abandon Jesus. Or that we can even work against Jesus and God's kingdom. It's humbling. How on one day we can get it so right. And then on another day get it so wrong. And this gets me to the main point of the sermon this morning. Palm Sunday challenges us to be humble even as we praise Jesus and that's why i have the image on the very front part of the second page of your bulletin it's, it's it's a picture of palm branches that have been turned into crosses and for me a palm branch that is in the shape of a cross shows the tension that i'm trying to capture here that that palms are some symbols of triumph and victory in the ancient world, and it's believed that you would use those as, as some of the highest honors you could give a person, and that's why you'd put them on the path as they were moving, and and so they're symbols of the honor and praise and glory we give to God. But then they're in the shape of a cross, and the cross is a horrible symbol. Like as Christians today, we love it because we've never seen anyone crucified. But for the first several hundred years of the early church, if you go to an archaeological archaeological site you're not going to find any crosses. If you go to where they bury Christians underground, you're not going to find any crosses. Early Christians did not like the cross. It scared them. It terrified them. It was a symbol of shame and horror. And the early church did not like the cross because it was too real for them. That It was a way that the Romans killed people. And so on the one hand, you have the symbol of praise the palm. But on the other hand, you have the symbol of condemnation and shame. And it kind of challenges us to think about how on one hand we can praise Jesus, but on the other hand we can turn away from Jesus, or we can betray God's purposes for us. On Monday, Thursday, we're going to talk about Jesus' commandment to, to love one another, that what God wants most from us is to love one another, that the world will know us by our love, and we know that we we should be doing it. We know that that's the way we should live, and when we praise Jesus, we know that's the way we should be acting in the world, but as Christians, too often, we praise Jesus one moment, but we don't live out Jesus' commandment to us, to other, to love one another. Palm Sunday challenges us to be humble, even as we praise God. And as Christians, we often mock the disciples when they got things wrong like we I, i've been in a lot of sunday school classes where people say oh look at peter he's failing again or, or look at this disciple he's not doing the right thing and we love to attack the pharisees because they could not see god at work in their midst and yet they were the good religious folk of the day and they thought they were getting everything right and the disciples thought they were doing the right things when they got things wrong we need to be humble that we often make mistakes, that we too often get things wrong, that we can praise Jesus one moment and fail miserably the next moment, and that with our lives, we really need to wrestle with how we are not always doing what God calls us to do. We need to be humble, especially when we think we're getting things right. That the enemies of Jesus got wrong was that Jesus is king. That Jesus is Lord of all. They did not understand that Jesus' kingdom is not in this world, but of another world. And, and for us, we often uh, say Jesus is kingdom, but then we live our lives in the kingdoms of this world. We don't try to live into the heavenly kingdom. And so we need to be humble, because we often get things wrong. Following Jesus is a spectrum. There are days that we are doing better on that spectrum than other days. And there are times by the grace of God that we do things right, and there are times where we fail miserably. But the challenge for us is to humbly try to grow in love of God, humbly try to love our neighbor, and over time to have less and less sin at work in our lives. And that even as we praise Jesus, even as we give glory to God, we need to be humble and realize that we often get things wrong. My invitation for us this week is to fully experience Holy Week. Not just celebrating Jesus today, not just celebrating Jesus next week on Easter, but to experience the Last Supper and Jesus' challenge to us to love one another, which is hard and where we often fail Jesus' call in our lives. And also to experience the passion on Good Friday, to remember what Jesus is willing to do for us and willing to suffer for us. But I know some of you can't come to the, the, the services this week. So if you cannot come to Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, I just invite you to open your Bible, pick your favorite gospel, and read the Last Supper, read the Passion of Jesus, and praise God, but also let that, challenge, that, that passage challenge you to be humble. Because Palm Sunday challenges us to be humble, even as we praise Jesus. Amen.